0: Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Lots of developers, including Will, are going to tell you that they aren't very good at design. While that may be true, it turns out we all still have to do basic UI work in our jobs. Well, most of us do. Thankfully, there are some things you can keep in mind that will make this experience less annoying. In this episode, we're going to discuss some basic things that will help you be better at design while not going off into the deep end. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Windows updates. Dude,
1: <laughs> they have pushed an update that has broken. Well, a few months ago, they pushed an update that broke Bluetooth on my laptop and both desktops. This latest update has broken printing on all three machines. Um, I, I feel like I'm losing the ability to use my computer slowly every time Windows updates. There are several thousand people having the same problem. A lot of people are losing time based on this. Honestly, at this point, with the way Microsoft is pushing their updates, forcing them out and not testing, I'm really hoping we have a lawyer out there that's looking for a good class action case because they need to get nailed over this you know every time I get my head above water, Microsoft pushes it back under, and it's it's ridiculous
0: and this is why I'm switching to Mac. I already have it work
1: yeah, and this is why I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at Linux yeah uh, for the same. Same reasons, um, because I, you know, I have enough hard drive space on my SSD. I can run Windows in a VM.
0: Yeah, that's what I, that's what I do at work.
1: Yeah, and so if there's just something that just won't work, you know, I, I think I can probably be okay. Yeah, I, I do think that any, you know, if there are any lawyers out there that want to come on the show and talk about software liability um, and why this kind of thing is so common in the industry, I would love to hear from you. Also, if you nuke Microsoft from orbit on this one, you can come on twice. Um, at this point, because I will totally extend a hand on that one. <laughs> In better news, um, I set up my first GitHub action the other day, um, so I've got a Gatsby site that I can push to master, and it goes out to you know it goes out to my my site, so it gets FTP'd up. Um, the web host is a little slow; you're familiar with that. Um, but basically. Every, I I worked it out and I think it costs like between four and five cents every time my build runs and pushes. And, you know, like I'm just, I'm not productive enough for that to hurt me. (laughs) It's the best way to put that. Um, So I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the way that GitHub Actions have worked out. And even my daughter thinks it's cool. Like she watched me do it. Um, one night. She was just kind of asking what I was doing and I explained it to her. Mm. She's like, so where's, where's this computer? Is that the one downstairs? And I go, no, I don't, I don't care where it is. Like, what about the computer that you're pushing to? Don't care about that one either. And that's, that's just a really neat place to be.
0: So how about you? Dude, I am feeling the burnout, man. I'm just on too much right now at work. I actually told my boss I was feeling stretched a bit thin in my status report last Friday. I love doing all the things. You know, I get to do some really cool stuff, but being pulled in eight different directions is just a bit too much. And, you know, I don't know that it's exactly eight. It might only be six or seven, but still, that's too much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Two different directions is too much. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, you're right. It's gotten to the point where I just don't care anymore. I mean, I'm at the point where I'm tired of being the only one fighting to do things the right way. Yeah. So I say, go ahead, test in production. I really don't care anymore.
1: Yeah, when you get to that point, that's a bad. I mean, that's a real good sign of burnout. You know, it's yeah. It's not that you don't care; it's that at this point, you don't feel like caring helps.
0: Well, I don't have the capacity to to care.
1: Yeah, is the thing. You're you're drowning. You can't be a lifeguard.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean, part of it is just you know I'm not the only one, but lately I I've not been paired up with anyone else who also like you know does things the right way and so we've got pressure from upper management to do it the wrong way and people who don't know better are coming going well why can't we just do it this way and i'm like you know i'm just i'm tired of fighting that fight yeah and you know it should be you know my management my lead developer should be the one who's stepping up and fighting this fight and they're the ones that are not understanding why it's important and i'm like i'm done. I don't care anymore. Do it the wrong way. You're going to suffer. And that's that's on you, not me now. I'm, I'm just done with it. Yeah. Now, in better news or in fun news, I will be taking a couple of days off at the end of this week. Actually taking a Friday, and then I'm we just decided to take Monday. Uh, I'm going to be going down to Mobile, Alabama for Amanda's brother's wedding this weekend. Cool. Now, their dad hurt his back, so he can't make the trip down there. Uh, So I'm going to be streaming the wedding to a private group for her family who can't make it down, Uh, mainly just her mom and dad who have to stay up here. But I think uh, there's some aunts and uncles who who aren't going to be able to make it. They'll be watching it as well. On the way back, we're going to be stopping in Birmingham to visit a few breweries. And uh, actually, right before we started recording, Amanda and I were texting, we decided, hey, you know, going to take Monday off and uh, stay in Birmingham an extra day and just sort of hang out because I need, I just need the time off. I need a break and that's how I'm going to get it. You know? Yeah. Speaking of breweries, I am drinking the new happiness from mill Creek. Uh, it's an Imperial new England IPA with citra and galaxy hops. How hoppy is it? It's not terrible. um It's, it's very citrusy. I don't know. The galaxy hops aren't as bitter as as some of the other stuff and citra citra is really common because it's easy to grow here in the u.s and it's um it's not as bitter as some of the the other stuff that's easy to grow here yeah and stuff that's citrusy tends to cut the hoppiness Mm -hmm. anyway like you don't it does it's
1: not that it cuts it it takes the edge off of it yeah
0: it does and so it's kind of got like a citrusy creamy flavor i'm not the biggest fan of ipas but Happiness has been one of my favorites. I was so excited when Amanda told me they were making it again. And she brought me this from their first canning. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of the label. Personally, I think because it's got galaxy hops, it should be more of like a space themed. But instead, they went with like, uh, you know, rainbow sherbet melted onto orange sherbet. Look, I don't know. It's here. Let me show you the, the can. And if I can slide it up out of the. It's like, here's what I'm talking. I mean, like, looks like Rainbow Sherbert melted yeah, it is. on Orange Sherbert.
1: Yeah, it does kind of look like a uh like an like an eighties kids TV show, like the way they describe <laughs> a sick dream. Yes. You know, like when the kids got the flu or something and that's like the color that's in the background. Yes. <laughs> and he's like right. <laughs> yeah. I I see it, man. Yeah. So I'm like it's good that we're talking design on this <laughs> on here.
0: Yeah. Uh, um yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of the uh, of the label, but I do absolutely love the beer. I think I know what they're going for. They're going for like bright, happy colors, summertime, and then kind of citrusy type colors. And I'm like, no, you guys, you missed on that one. But um, I am looking forward to the next time I go out to Mill Creek, I, I get to have it on tap and I've not actually ever had happiness on tap. So, but it is pretty strong. Uh, I think around eight or nine percent. So. High graph for a beer, but uh, all that said, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get on into book club. <music> the thirteenth quality of a team player is relational. In the seventeen. 17- Essential Qualities of a Team Player by John Maxwell. He states, if you get along, others will get along too. And Maxwell starts off talking about Michael Devers. He was deputy chief of staff for Ronald Reagan. And he spoke to the fact that Reagan, while being a very shy person, had a way of connecting with people, even his opponents and you know members of the press who disagreed with his policies. Uh, He was able to connect with so many because he genuinely liked people. He treated everyone with respect, no matter their position, if they were chief of staff or secretary or the janitor cleaning the floors. He treated them with the same level of dignity and respect. Now, Maxwell goes on to describe five ways to know you've built a solid relationship with your teammates. He states that everything begins with respect. You have to value each other. The next thing required for good relationships is shared experiences. Following that is trust, a foundation for leadership and relationships in general. Trust is very important for building those relationships. One way relationships are doomed to failure is when there is a one-sided relationship. To build a team, there must be a give-and-take relationship with each member on the team. Finally, teammates must enjoy being with one another to have a good relationship. Maxwell closes the chapter with four ways to better relate to your teammates. Focus on others instead of yourself. Get to know them by asking good questions about each teammate. Spend more than just work time with them. And make an effort to show them they are special so we've put
1: comments and water bottles on hold for a, a little while uh, there's several reasons for this uh, the first is that uh, we're out of water bottles Beach shipped out the last of them past week we're also kind of looking at do we still want to ship out water bottles versus something else uh, if you guys have some suggestions you know let us know keep it reasonable though because you know there's not a whole lot of money sitting here. <laughs>
0: We're paying for these ourselves, and with the little bit we get from Patreon. So yeah, Yeah,
1: basically. So the other thing is, we've not been getting a lot of unique comments on the uh, website or on social media. We're getting a ton of spam, and the good comments we are getting tend to be from the same people that already have water bottles. So you know, we're trying not to overdo it there. But if you would like a CDP water bottle, or whatever the next thing is that we come up with, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or on any of our social media. We also post all of our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. Those latter two would be Beach, not me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so uh, I will say this. There's two ways that you can go with your suggestions on this. You could suggest something that is easier for Will to pronounce than the word water bottle. Yeah. Or you could do something that's even harder for Will to pronounce than the word water bottle. He struggles with it.
1: Like brewery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're not giving out breweries.
1: <laughs> Here's your complimentary CDP Worcestershire bottle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It goes back to that joke. Uh, this is this is really hard to say, man. Um, Worcestershire, Worcestershire. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. If you like the humor, you can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Your advertisement could be here. If you like the show and would like to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities. Reach out to us and let us help you reach the people who you are serving.
1: Design tends to be kind of difficult for software developers, uh, like marketing, writing, public speaking, music, art in general. Uh, Design seems to be an area that a lot of developers tend to struggle with, um, and they find it intimidating. There's a general perception that design people are naturally artistic better at reading the somewhat ambiguous rules of design or have their finger on the pulse of industry best practices in a way that the rest of us can't grasp. While these things can be at least partially true, there are a lot of things that even a non-artistic developer can do that will result in better designs.
0: If you're a developer who is somewhat intimidated by design, that is no reason to despair. While an increasing number of companies are hiring designers and using design systems to build up their user interfaces, in many companies, developers still have to design a lot of things. If nothing else, using good rules of design can allow your system to grow for long enough that a real designer can show up and fix or help you out with any deficiencies. Best of all, If you follow these design considerations, you'll often find that rather than immediately hating your work, users will actively give you good feedback that makes you better at designing. So, in this episode, we're going to talk about why knowing design is important and why developers have trouble with it and some of the advantages and disadvantages that developers have. Then, we're going to get into some Basic principles and some considerations, and uh, close out with some concerns that you need to have, and you know a few final thoughts and just stuff you need to know about when you are designing. So let's go ahead and get on into it with the uh, why is learning about design important?
1: Well, the first thing is, is there's not always a designer. Just a lot of companies don't see that it's important, or they think it's part of a developer role. Or they don't even think that, you know, ugly software is any worse than pretty software. The other thing is you may be on a team that doesn't communicate well with design. You know, you probably have had the experience at some point or most developers have of either the design guy is really opinionated and abrasive towards the developers or vice versa. And so those dynamics a lot of times are in place when you get there and you can't do anything about it. So you may have to be able to do a decent design just so that your stuff can get through, uh, you know, with the other team.
0: Have you, um, have you ever been on a team that was managed by a designer? Yes. Yeah. I have a friend, he, uh, we were hanging out over at their place. We go over there every now and then for game night. We ended up just sitting outside and drinking beer and chatting recently. The last time we went over, but uh, he's a, Designer, graphic designer, went to school for it, and now he's running a development team.
1: Yep, I would say that it's better now for that dynamic versus, say, the early 2000s. I would say, like you know, 2007, 2008, th- that time frame, it, it was the worst. Um, I worked in a situation where somebody did a design in Photoshop that you could not do on the web. It, it, you just couldn't yeah uh, you know the the technology just was not there right you're talking you know css floats and all that fun stuff and they're like why can't you do this and well you know, you could do a table-based layout because you know photoshop will spit this thing out and it's like but that's not semantically correct html and it's a site that's getting hit by search engines you know it, it interferes with all the other design decisions for the rest of the system and so yeah i've i've been there and done that and it it is not pleasant. Now, the other side of it is, is, what happens to designers when they have a developer supervising them. I suspect that that's probably a bit worse.
0: Yeah. So I think this is mid two thousands. I was dating a girl who's going to school for graphic design, and I know at that point they were teaching them like the basics of you know web development.
1: Yeah, yeah, but you had like this massive hangover of people that learned design in like the 90s oh yeah yeah from like pirated copies of photoshop or something and then they they're still using them you know, years later
0: well they 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 probably learned learned design for print media you like and, and i've seen i have seen that where someone would come in with a design and i'm like that would make a a great poster that would make a great magazine cover that makes a that will not make a good website yeah. at all.
1: With like the, you know, 15 meg image, in the background. Yeah. Like, it's like, look, once you get that image onto paper, the paper isn't any heavier, but every packet from now on will be.
0: Also, the design mindset is more user oriented rather than code oriented, but it will improve the quality of your code that's powering the design.
1: Right. Cause it, it does force you to a lot of times separate things. Because one thing that, You'll see with most designers is they're kind of fickle, right? They change and, you know, they they shift with, you know, different design themes and different ways that things are being done, stuff that they've seen. And so if you really, really tightly tie your processing code to your UX, which is a bad practice to get into, you're going to get nailed by this and having designers in the mix a lot of times will force you to separate that stuff just because you're trying to isolate changes in the UI from your processing code. It pushes you towards best practices.
0: Mm -hmm. So why is it that developers find design difficult? Well,
1: we tend to focus on what we're trying to do, what we personally are trying to do with the software, right? Like the thing we're trying to build, rather than why or how someone uses our software. And it's, it's a thing of, you know, hey, I can break this thing down into steps and, you know, work the algorithm, but it's, it's not necessarily thinking so much about the person that is triggering that event to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just a different part of the flow.
0: Yeah. I mean, other than some UI developers, which UI, like UI-specific devs, they're kind of like, like, you know, the, the DevOps, which is the, the operations developer blend. They're like the dev design. Divine? Yeah, there we go. They're divine. You heard it here first, folks.
1: We coined that phrase. I'm sure Dave would love to hear that. (laughs) Wouldn't call it coining it so much as extruding it. But um, (laughs) we'll leave that there. Speaking of extruding things, uh, developers also have a tendency to be a little bit perfectionist. And a lot of times this means that we can't make a good enough design for us. So we'll go, Oh, this is off by a pixel or this doesn't quite look right. And we'll, and we'll overly tweak it because you can do that in code. Right. But once you start doing UI and you start having things resize and you start having all the different browsers and all this other stuff going on, it's harder to do that. Like a lot of designers, you know, they will, they will go, Hey, this is okay. You know, this is good enough.
0: Yeah. That's, that's something they had to learn. Cause I know a few designers who like it, I hang out with a lot of artists. Oh yeah. Um, some of them are graphic designers for their day job and no, they are very like especially when it comes to their own work, they're like, "Oh no, let me let me go in here and do this and do this and like like I'm in the the creative group at church and one of the things that we get I don't know thrown at us but like presented to us over and over again is, you know, being is Actually, putting our work out there because it's like, look, you guys are going to want to keep working on it to keep perfecting it, and you need to put it out there for others to see and move on to the next project.
1: Right, and I do think that that's what designers have learned that developers haven't. Yeah, right. Is they can they can get it out there and it's it it gets the feedback loop going. Whereas developers will sit there and we'll tweak code forever Mm -hmm. and never release if if you let us. Yeah. Um, And so design a lot of times serves the function of kind of putting the brakes on that.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing is, and this is something I'm very guilty of because I love theory. Uh, When we try to learn design, we tend to focus too much on design theory rather than the creation of useful stuff, useful feedback loops, that kind of thing. Like when it comes to, to my music lessons, that's one thing that really sold me on after my first lesson is I came in and I learned a little bit about guitar, like I learned you know, a little bit of playing stuff. But then we spent a few minutes talking about music theory. And truthfully, he was just testing the waters because very few people actually care about learning that. So he just like, he tests the waters with every new student just to see, hey, are you even interested? And that's what hooked me with with him as an instructor because i'm like oh you're gonna give me theory too theory's the fun stuff if you like outside of our realm of people few people think yeah. that a lot of people would rather learn the practical and not even care about the theory but with developers we tend to do that and so when it comes to well our job is building castles in our head yeah so the theory kind of
1: matters to us like that's that's just how we we approach things which, you know, it will mess you up as far as, design you know, as far as design. It'll mess you up as far as playing a guitar. You don't think about where your fingers have to go. Yeah. Right? Like, you're playing the guitar. <laughs> you're not doing that.
0: Oh, yeah. One of the one of the big things I get told is because, like, different chords start on different, like, different strings. So, you know, um, some chords, they have all six strings. Some only have five. Some only have four. And that's not even getting into power chords. But, I'm constantly being told, don't look back at your right hand because I can get the rhythm down and not have to think about it. But I'm always looking back to make sure I am like on the right string.
1: Yeah. And it'll mess you
0: up. So I'm not. Yeah. And, and it will. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that like I'm having to, to do, but uh yeah, it's, it, it is, I would think it's similar with learning a language too.
1: Yeah. If you're thinking too much about, you know, getting it all right versus being able to communicate you won't do either, (laughs) you know, it's just, it it hoses you. So speaking about doing this sort of thing, uh, probably need to discuss some basic principles and these kind of apply across the board, regardless of the design interface that you're building, whether it's web, even a console app, um, even a physical app, you know, you're wiring up buttons and stuff on a panel somewhere. Uh, It's the same kind of thing. The first is that UX elements in your system should be predictable and consistent. Mm -hmm. I worked on a system for a while that the UI was not consistent. Um, Every time they were like, oh, we're going to add something, it was added somewhere just where it would fit. We often referred to that as, you know, we kind of had the the Ezekiel's wheel of tabs. And so you have a form that's got tabs on it. And inside the tabs, there's tabs. Inside the tabs, there's more tabs. Like the running joke was, if this guy designed Windows, it would be called Tabs. It's the <laughs> operating system. Um, because everything was just kind of stuck somewhere. Yeah, And it ends up being where you can't reason about where something is likely to be when you don't know where it is. Because, well, some of the tabs were on the top, some were on the bottom. Sometimes it wasn't a tab. Sometimes it was a list that popped something up. And then there were tabs on it. Oh my it was really, It was really hard to navigate that, even for people that knew the system. They would ask, you know, including the guy that wrote it. On occasion, he was like, "Where is that?" And we're like, "You, you wrote it." <laughs> you know, I don't know where it is. <laughs> you know, um, you you don't want to do that because it it makes it very difficult on the users. A second premise here is that your design should try to drive users to the pit of success and then push them in, and help them avoid errors along the way, right? So if if a field is required and you're doing something with it on the next thing that you're Going to, you don't let them not enter something
0: there mm-hmm.
1: because it'll break the system. You know, it's just basic stuff that you should know as a developer, but from a design perspective, sometimes developers will miss that stuff, you know, because oh, the system allows this, but realistically it doesn't really work all that well. Yeah. Another one that comes up is that the language on screens should be sufficient, short, and descriptive. So, you don't use words with ambiguous meanings or with non industry standard meanings. Uh, We had a couple of those at one of my previous jobs, and there was a system entity that we talked about, and it came up every day. Like you're constantly dealing with this thing. It was eight months after I got there before I realized what that meant.
0: Mm. Also, your screen should have a logical flow that matches the way that the user thinks about a problem rather than the way the database holds the data or where the way that the business logic in the API thinks about the problem this is this is a weird one because you kind of need to get outside of your own head for it um i know we were building an application and i don't want it's not that we had bad like product owner subject matter experts it's just that They knew one side of things. And like, they weren't, they knew like what they did on the business end. They didn't, they weren't thinking about what their customers did and how they came into the system. And then we had someone come in. They, they hired someone who, uh, or promoted him. I don't know. Right. But they brought in someone and he really helped us figure this out because what happened was, we, we built this based on what they were talking about, which was based on their paper form of doing it, which is what these guys knew really well. But when it really came down to it, like it, it made sense to us and to them based on the paper form yeah. and how they put data into the system. But when we were we we're, were basically automating this form so that people could fill it out online. But when they started sending it off to some of their bigger users to test it out. We got a lot of feedback about it. It was like, we're having to change massive stuff. And that's why they brought someone else in who was like, could talk from that side of it. But yeah, because like, it was like, even the business people weren't, didn't know the logical flow of the user. They were thinking the logical flow of, well, how do we, how do we want to enter data in when it's on a paper form that we're typing and putting it into the database? Right not how are they going to enter it because they have to go look up certain things and get like you know reference information and stuff so yeah.
1: well my favorite one is when the when people decide that okay you're on this form and you're starting to enter data and there's some lookup table that doesn't have something that you need and you can add it somewhere else in the app but they won't let you add it there and so you got to navigate off and lose all your all the stuff you entered and go fiddle with it and put it in there and then come back and then you get a little further down and there's another one. And Mm -hmm. that is unbelievably common.
0: Oh yeah. Ask anyone who's had to uh, file for unemployment in the last few months. Uh, There's not any of those people. I mean, that doesn't happen much, right? Especially not with the current environment. (laughs) There's no unemployment. I've watched several people do that. Like as in, been there when it was happening and they're like I don't understand why this isn't working and yeah then you call the help and it's like this thing. literally I, I heard the phone call as this little old lady and I'm like and it's not saying that old women don't know anything about programming because I know some older women who know more about programming than Will and I ever will but this was one of those people who did not
1: yeah and the, the thing is you can't assume that your audience right does have the same set of knowledge as you Right, so like, if you ever want to get really humbled, watch somebody use software. Oh yeah, (laughs) because I mean, you'll see stuff, and you're like, I never would have thought anybody would Mm -hmm. do that. And designers think like that from the get go. They're they're having to look at those kind of things and go, How is somebody going to interpret this word that you used right here?
0: Oh yeah, I've actually seen a designer turned QA, and one of the most frustrating QAs I ever worked with, also one of the best. Yeah. Because she could, like, there were a couple of times where, like, we had to have conversations about, hey, that's not a bug because you disagree with the design decision that was made. You can address that, but you can't say it's a bug. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, like, that was early on when she first made the switch. Eventually, it got, like, it got better. But she would catch stuff that you're like, oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah. How did you even know? You know, what do you mean that if I do this on a Turkish keyboard, it does this other thing? What, you know, <laughs> why would how do you know that? Oh, you've got one, of course. Like, have you ever been to Turkey? Do you know anybody from Turkey? No, but I have a keyboard. Like, where does this even come from? And you're like, look, and they got a stack of them.
0: You know, they're just like, like,
1: man, I've worked with one or two people like that, and you're just like, man, I don't even, you know, like, we as developers can't think about that kind of stuff, right? Like we, we can think about error conditions. What happens if a file moves? What happens if permissions are wrong? What happens if the file is deleted while we're trying to work with it in some way, you know, like we think about that kind of stuff. These are the people that think about that kind of stuff for the UI.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really funny because it's, it's very different because they don't think about the stuff that we think about. Right. Like the ones I've talked to, I I said, Oh yeah. And uh, by the way, I noticed this when I was in there fixing that bug and I went ahead and took care of it. And she was like, huh? It's like, I never would have thought about that. And I'm like, yeah, but don't worry about it. It's it's going to work. She's like, how do I even test that? <laughs> and I was like, all right, here's how you test that. what I did worked. But uh, yeah, and but like she would come up with stuff that I'm like, I never would have even thought about that.
1: Your, your designers protect your users from you yeah. and they protect you from your users. Yes. You know, <laughs> let them do their job.
0: Yes, that is, that is so true. All right. Uh, well, lastly, under basic principles, uh, you should use appropriate and consistent user interface elements based on the data that you hope to collect and how the user will interact with the system. Um, For example, don't cram phone-style controls on a desktop interface and vice versa. One of the most frustrating things I run into constantly is when I'm trying to fill out a form or something on my phone and I go and it says put in the email and it's like it's the email keyboard where you get like the... Yeah, you, you hold down the dot um, and, it, and all yeah, it pops that stuff up and it has the at symbol on there, like on the front screen. You don't have to like click through to get to it. Uh, and then you go to the confirm email.
1: And it's regular text.
0: Yeah. Yep. That is the absolute worst. Like I have legitimately things that were not like something I had to have. I have stopped filling it out and did not buy from them and went and bought from a different company. Because of that.
1: Yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot, especially on mobile.
0: Yeah. No, I'll pay five more dollars for something
1: if I don't have to deal with that. I just feel like the other stuff that they're making, they're going to care about more yeah. if they get that right. And so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right with you there on that one. So let's talk a little bit about color. This tends to be one of the main things that developers have a hard time with. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for this. It's really hard to pick appropriate colors for a lot of developers. Like if you look at the way we dress, that's sort of a systemic thing. It's probably not going to get better.
0: I wear mostly black. Yeah, I kind of look like a designer. Yeah, already. there you
1: go. You just got to get a turtleneck and some problem glasses, and you're good to go. Um, you already have the Mac. You know, you're you're slowly turning to the dark side. <laughs> You know, Apple will forever dominate your destiny or whatever. So one thing that we have to start learning to do if we want to be successful with color scheme type situations is to think of color in terms of hue, saturation, and luminosity instead of red, green, blue. And and the reason is, is that colors that look very similar are often very far apart on RGB and they're not on HSL. And so if you use a color system that is built around how color is perceived by people versus how the software has to deal with the color, you're going to have more luck at, going, at, at being able to reason about the colors. Like, I mean, the other day I had to look up, you know, what the RGB code was for orange. Right. Like if you think how long I've been coding, the fact that I had to look that up tells you that it's not necessarily all that accessible.
0: Oh, you know what? One of my favorite things to do is when people ask me my favorite color, give it to them in hex.
1: You would <laughs> just give it in like the uh, the old school, like 16 color thing. My favorite color is seven. <laughs>
0: there you go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, you know, we talked about color when we had our uh, episode 256.
1: Yeah, we did.
0: Uh, no, HSL. I remember when I was first learning about that versus RGB, and like RGB makes sense to a developer mind, yeah, because it's literally the amount you know colors
1: in a channel. Colors
0: are yeah, colors are are mixes of when it comes to light, red, green, blue, and when it comes to to other mediums, uh, red, yellow, blue, but. Um, Anyway, it's like the amount of red, the amount of green, the amount of blue. But you know, when I started designing stuff early on, when I was training with you, uh, especially when we had the uh, that one friend of ours who he couldn't tell us what he wanted, but he could sure tell us what he didn't want. Yeah, (laughs) at length. Yeah, (laughs) Um, he's he's a great guy, but he just like he he legitimately didn't know what he wanted. But when we present him with something, he's like, not that. And so I learned a lot about it at that point. Um so and you're right, it's it's very good because then you can when you're just looking at the numbers, you can really like you can see how similar two colors are. So you don't want like a background and a foreground to be too similar. Right. Have you ever have you ever looked at something that was a light gray foreground on a medium gray background. Yeah, we called it GeoCities. <laughs> I mean, or so I, I saw this meme the other day, and this was good. It's like, you don't want your user interface to look like the the exit, like the X on a mobile ad. Right. <laughs> because they make it slightly off from the background color to make it hard to...
1: To see. Yeah. Um, And speaking of hard to see, you also need to be thinking about things like color blindness, probably using software to actually test out your app to see what it would look like to somebody with different common kinds of color blindness. You'll see things that it looks normal to you, but it doesn't to somebody else. They can't see certain things. I worked with a guy that had, I forget what kind of, you know, what the actual diagnosis was, but he had some kind of special glasses that adjusted it. And he was just like, man, this changed my life. There, I did. There was just like a set of colors. I, I it's not that he could, couldn't see those colors, but it's like they didn't, it, it's like he lost contrast or something.
0: Yeah. You, they can't differentiate. Right.
1: And so it was messing him up because he was working on screens in our app that somebody wasn't thinking about that.
0: Yeah, they, they actually do have some really cool stuff out there. There's also some, um, I think Chrome may, it may be Chrome there's some browser there's Chrome plugin or two. Yeah, there's some browsers where you can do that and it will actually uh, adjust the colors to make them more visible based oh. on the type of color blindness you have. Uh, that said, not everyone is going to know that. Not everyone's going to have that available to them. That not, that's not going to be available on most of your mobile devices. So you're going to want to think about this. I know we had some issues with some of our logos. They had to be redesigned because of that. The other thing you want to do is consider adding multiple color schemes or customization, especially if your target market is going to really want that. For example, as developers, we love our dark mode.
1: Which, by the way, Chrome is getting built in. There's a flag.
0: Another thing you want to consider is how is your app going to look when a dark mode reader is applied to it. So I have had some where it just, it really throws it off. Like, cause some of them, they just invert the colors. Some of them, they darken the colors. Another thing you have to think about is a lot of those, those plugins and things, they change the background and the foreground colors, but they don't change images. But if your image is in the background and it's not like in an image tag, it's going to invert those colors and those look really, really weird. Yeah.
1: And you also have to think about things like night mode. Yeah. So when they, you know, they take the blue channel out, what does your app look like? Is it still usable?
0: Mm, that's a good point.
1: Yeah. Because I've dealt with a few of those as well. And I do that all the time at work when I have to get on a you know conference call because everybody, it seems like about half the office when they share their screen, it's it's like light mode, Visual Studio. And I'm in front of a TV. And so it's like somebody's shining a flashlight into my eyeball.
0: You know, it's weird. Um, I don't know what software you guys use, but so you see the way I'm looking now. I look, you know, my camera looks pretty normal. I've got the lights on in my office and stuff. But I don't know if it's the Mac or if it is WebEx, but when we were We ran into an issue with WebEx where when everyone started working remote, it kind of overloaded the server it was on. So we had to stop using video. But before that, I looked completely like whited out. Like it was, you could tell there was someone here, but it was just like, you know, the white balance was so off and I couldn't, there's no way to control it. Yeah. So I don't know if it was like the camera with the Mac or if it was the webex software with my camera I'm not sure what it was but it was it was weird and I'm sure it was blinding to people when I was speaking and like I'd pop up big on the screen cuz just like blinding white light coming out
1: <laughs> it's like you went to the beach in shorts
0: yeah <laughs> I, would, I would try to wear like darker clothing so it would like it wouldn't be as bad but yeah
1: so another thing you need to consider is typography um, you know what fonts are you using how you represent text, those kind of things in your system. Uh, your design should generally have a visual hierarchy, uh, with the relative importance of elements denoted by their prominence on the screen. Now, you can do this with a lot of different things. It's not just font size. So the color, uh, whether it's italicized, uh, you know, bolded, those kind of things. Uh, the placement of the item will also kind of contribute to that visual hierarchy things front and center are usually considered more important than things that are off in a corner, right? Yeah. You know, a corner office is prestigious if you're in an office, but it's not prestigious on a website. If you're off in a corner pocket, it's because you don't matter.
0: And also, you have to consider your, your user's medium for this. So I was reading an article the other day on my phone, and it went fine, it went fine, and then they had an image and then all the text was like over overlapping for like two paragraphs under the image. And then it went back to normal until you hit the next image. Yeah. It's like the images, they, they didn't do that right. And it threw the whole thing off. I ended up stopping. Like I didn't read the, the full article. Cause I'm like, I just,
1: you know, I can't. I've done that a few times where I'll share it through my email and then read it when I get home. And just email it yeah. myself. But yeah, it's, it's annoying. You know, like you. Re-
0: it wasn't an important article. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't it, worth that. Yeah, it has to be. It was a sitting on the toilet article, guys. Let's be honest. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, typefaces also should have really good contrast with the background of the screen. In other words, like you were talking about before, make sure the colors are different enough that they stand out, so that it's actually readable.
0: Yeah, but not so different
1: that they give people a headache. Yeah, like uh like black background and white text is awful um actually black text on a white background is too you just you people typically uh take that down and it's like a dark gray and the white is usually like eggshell yeah it's not actually pure
0: the same with the the black if you do like a a light gray on black it doesn't look as it's not as sharp i was more thinking of like blue on red oh yeah you know there is a big contrast there but it it
1: or like the uh the Windows 3.1 uh, hot dog stand theme you remember that yeah <laughs> it's like it's like red and yellow <laughs> where you're just you're just looking at this and you you're like you know I would think a child designed this but i know that a child would not do this to other people <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> like this was a really cranky adult that was
0: making a point and it got into the product um <laughs> or they wanted to they they made it available for people to mess with others i mean there's there's always that yeah,
1: that's what I used it for.
0: <laughs> anyway, no the what I was what I was thinking about too was they have tools out there that designers use and that developers can use too. I didn't I didn't say this with the colors, but I should have the like the color wheel. It, it's it's out there and it's very useful because it shows you colors that go together and colors like colors that contrast. And make a good contrast and colors that don't make a good contrast.
1: Yeah. Or colors that are complementary, so that it's not so much you're trying to get contrast, but you're trying to get two colors that yeah. serve different roles in the app, but don't need to clash. Yeah. And there's a lot of theory there. And at some point we'll have an episode on, on color theory. Cause there's, a, there's a lot there. Like I could have included some of that here and it was just, it couldn't happen during this
0: episode. Again developers we tend to go way too far into the theory and so don't worry guys we'll have a an episode on color theory coming up soon. Uh hey too bad you guys can't see my tattoo it's very colorful.
1: Now, when you're talking about scaling elements, especially you know typography and those kind of things, don't increase scale linearly. So like if you have something that, you know, is 12 point and you want something to stand out from it, you make it maybe a 14 point. But if you have something that's a 30 point, you're not going to make something 32 points and it stand out right you're gonna have to go up to 40 probably um so it's better to scale with something that's more like a fibonacci sequence instead of a linear sequence because um, otherwise as you scale really high up or really low down it doesn't match essentially like it doesn't look like what it should
0: in the in those that mid-range you can go up up or down like two font sizes and you can see a difference. Right. But when you get to those, those extremes, those really small or those really large, you have to jump drastically to, to see a difference. Right. Yeah. And there's actual theory behind that too, but we probably won't go into that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of basic biology, right? Like you, you're supposed to notice that there's a large animal right there. Right. And it stands out from everything else, but you're probably not really built to notice the difference between two dinosaurs, <laughs> so much as hey, that's bigger than the tree, <laughs> you know. Versus oh, it's you know it's point five percent bigger than the other dinosaur. It's like you don't care; it's big, <laughs> right? Like we're not built for this kind of thing, right? So you you have to kind of play with that uh, our perceptions in in a way that it actually makes sense.
0: And there's theory behind why it makes sense. So I was getting at.
1: So. Yeah. Better theories than the one I just offered. Probably. Yes, they are. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but use mine because it still works. <laughs> and, you know,
0: and Will's a little bit conceited about it.
1: Well, a dumb idea that still works is not a dumb idea.
0: <laughs> All right. So we've we've hit at this a little bit too, um, talking about some other areas, but image considerations. Images should be there for a reason. Other than decoration.
1: Right. Uh, just like a random, you know, a random image of a clown on your blog. Like, why would you do that? Unless there's a reason for it to be there. Like, actually think about why the image is there when you put it there instead of just sticking something there. Images should, generally speaking, be relevant to what's occurring on the screen. You know, this is why we have icons, right? This is why we have logos, all those things that just makes it all flow together. It also keeps people from looking at it and getting confused about what that screen is supposed to do for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, images are great for breaking up large chunks of text.
1: Right. They're serving a purpose then.
0: Yeah. And, but the thing is that you don't want to just throw in a random image to break up text. You want a related image. Sometimes you get some news articles about tech and you're like, what? Cause like, yeah,
1: where did this image come from? Like, how many guys in hoodies do you have pictures of? <laughs> With, like, the like the crazy bright screen where, like, their face is illuminated. Like, they got a 400,000 candle power spotlight on their face. And you're like, nobody codes like that. Anyway, that's one of my rants. Um, speaking of something to rant about use images that are of an appropriate quality for the medium in which you are going to be putting them. Don't use grainy, low quality images. It makes you look
0: awful. Unless you're going for a grainy, low quality image look. Right. Like I was I was like, I, I read that and I'm like, yeah, but I actually know some pages that do that on purpose. It goes back to the reason. Yeah. I actually have a reason because it goes with what what they're talking about. Yeah. The thing
1: is, is don't, Uh, don't try to innovate unless you need to innovate on stuff like this. You know, like you need to be at a level where you can innovate (laughs) rather than just randomly doing stupid crap and seeing what sticks. You also should consider things like having several sizes of the same image and making your displays adaptive so that you don't waste bandwidth, but you do have sufficient quality. Yeah. One thing that gets me like on the screen I have here is sometimes I'll I'll pop open the web browser and I've got it on full sc- like literal full screen, you know, with a the, the 4K monitor that's 48 mm-hmm. inch. I forget what, how big it is now. And you notice spacing and image things very, very quickly on sites for that, because a lot of times they're thinking, oh, people just read on the on their phone. Yeah. Well, I might not. And so it'll jump out. So it's, it's good to have multiple versions and be adaptive so that you can deal with those situations.
0: Mm-hmm. Next. Layout considerations.
1: Yeah. Use common patterns. Um, This is like design patterns in software. There are things like this for design. Things like the Holy Grail layout. You know, that's where you got a header, footer, left and right columns. And then the middle part's got your stuff in it. It's the important stuff. Like that. That's extremely common. And everybody understands that on the web. So it's fine to use that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's. That or variations of that where, you know, you have header, footer and one sidebar, one sidebar. Yeah. And, but like that's that is like we'll say, that's very common. And it's it goes back to what he said earlier about like. Avoid innovations unless you really know what you're doing
1: and you have a reason for them.
0: You're going at this from a usability. So you want what is familiar is usable even if your innovation is actually more intuitive, like it goes back to like, I, I have tried for years to convince Will to switch over to Mac minis for, for our recording box. It's like a dedicated recording box with a Mac mini. He is so familiar with Windows. And Linux. And Linux, yeah. He won't switch over to Mac because it's, it's unfamiliar, even though it's more intuitive. Once I learned it, it's way more intuitive. To Me, um, and to most people, like once you learn it,
1: that seems like a strange definition yeah. of intuitive, but okay, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, realize, <laughs> well, I realize that's where I said it. Like, no, once, yeah. you, once you learn it, it's more intuitive. Like, once you learn the thought pattern, you're yeah. like, oh, whereas with Windows, I'm like, well, I don't know,
1: they might have done it this way, or it might have been in Windows 8, or it might have been Windows 10, or it could be left over from 3.1. Yeah,
0: yeah, and so
1: you know, yeah, and, and they're
0: definitely uh, very odd sometimes. So like having that familiarity where it's like, even if your thing is more intuitive, it's like, this makes so much more sense to have it laid out this way. If people are familiar with another way,
1: it's. Yeah. Your way isn't going to be taken up more than likely. Yeah. Similarly within your app, you need to have structural things that make sense. So, you know, you can use similar elements and structure across pages or across screens or across Mm -hmm. whatever design surface you have. Uh, Remember that being original is only good at the top level. Um, If you're original on every form in your app, that's called inconsistency. That's not originality. And you're going to confuse your users. Don't do that.
0: Yeah, I've seen that a lot. I've built a few of
1: those. Another thing, consider working uh, with a grid layout tool of some sort. It makes really... Makes it a lot simpler to reason about things
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you go. Hey, I have twelve columns and infinite number of rows. How am I going to lay stuff out instead of? Oh, I need to be this many pixels over. It's no. It's in this column to this column.
0: Yeah, I mean that's why stuff like Bootstrap is so popular because uh, both of these, partly because it it's common patterns, it's things people are used to seeing, but also like we have a on our website, it's our theme has a it's not bootstrap but it has a bootstrap style grid pattern yeah so when i'm when i'm putting stuff up there i can easily go and just be like you know class grid and like put in the size that i want like how much of how much of the page i want to take up with that and the cool thing about that is it's like these grid layout tools are dynamic
1: yeah, they'll scale. They'll let you say, okay, you know, this element, if you know, I'm on this size screen, needs to be underneath this other one instead of to the right. Like, y- you can do a lot more with those kind of tools because they're built for that. Uh, they're built so that you don't have to think.
0: Yeah, so you don't have to write the CSS manually to do that.
1: Yeah, and test it
0: because I've done it. I have written the manual CSS for that, and it is not fun.
1: Yeah, I have too. And the thing is, is like you can. Even if it is fun to write it, it's awful to test it, right? Like you want somebody else to have
0: that problem, huh? I did not find it fun to write that.
1: Well, I'm just saying, well, I didn't find it fun either. I'm just saying that like there's a theoretical person out there that enjoys it. um, It still sucks to test it, all right? I wasn't like trying to make a statement that like, oh, this is something I want to do. No, it isn't. It's like you know, dropping a hammer on your foot hurts less if it's a smaller hammer. It doesn't mean that you go out with a ball peen hammer, just you know, chucking at your foot all the time. Like that's not what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but there are
0: some people who enjoy that.
1: Yeah, and they they can't count to twenty anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm finally, under layout, when scaling layout elements, use uh, the same type of Fibonacci style of increased size um, because that's going to make more sense than the linear one. It goes back to the same with we were talking about with your text. Like, you know, at the the mid-ranges, smaller increases are going to be more noticeable, but at the extremes, at the very large, at the very small, uh, you're going to have to jump more to make a noticeable increase or decrease.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about some other concerns as well. Um, Just to make sure that we kind of wrap this up neatly. Um, One thing, limit the amount of crap you put on a screen. It may be cool to make an app that has high information density and looks like, um, you know, the control panel of a space shuttle. To try to use that is not a whole lot of fun. Don't do that. Also, don't be crazy dynamic with your layout unless it's actually needed. Um, Reflowing the design can be really annoying, especially on older machines, less powerful machines, uh, machines with a slow network connection. And it can also cause errors where somebody clicks on the wrong thing and the stuff moved under the mouse.
0: You also want to make sure and add IDs to everything relevant on the screen. In addition to being able to address individual elements via CSS, this also makes it easier for other tools to interact with your system like tutorials. I have no idea what Pendo is.
1: Yeah, we use that at work for like, it's basically a, a tutorial thing. So you oh, can yeah. attach stuff to elements, and it'll pop up and keep okay. track of whether they've seen it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, we can, I know when we had uh, Amy on, we talked about the differences between IDs and classes.
1: Also, you know, be aware of things like metadata for the elements that you're putting on screen. Uh, so that people using assistive technologies can get a good experience as well. This is something that gets missed a lot by developers. Sometimes designers will pick this up. If you want to be good at design, you probably should as well.
0: No. So guys, while you may not ever become a truly excellent designer, there's a lot to be said for a developer that can use basic design principles to produce a decent UI. Following the considerations outlined in this episode will make your user interfaces much better uh, while not requiring an undue amount of work on your part. Essentially, this is the 20% of the work that will get you 80% of the results. Pareto Principle. These simple principles will make you a far better designer than many of the developers with whom you interact. And who knows, once you get some basic principles down, you may find you actually enjoy it. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I want to add
1: something that I think we kind of bounced around a little bit in here, but not enough maybe. Um, When you want to learn something, try to show up with table stakes. And what I mean by (laughs) that is uh, rather than simply showing up knowing absolutely nothing and asking questions, show up, having done some research and having learned some basics on your own. Cause I mean, there's always a starter tutorial for everything, right? So go do that. And then once you have that knowledge, then go ask questions. You know, for instance, I'm in a lot of uh, Russian learning Facebook groups and there are posts, two or three posts every day asking really simple things. Like what does the Russian alphabet look like? How do I say hi in Russian? Like if you're, Asking in a group for that, like that's not, not the right thing to do, right? You should go and learn some small, simple stuff first and then show up with real questions. Um, it makes people more willing to help you. People will trip over themselves to help somebody who looks like they're headed in the right direction versus somebody who did a low effort, no effort thing. And they just showed up and they want something from you. People get really frustrated with the same questions over and over again. So learn how to figure out what table stakes are for the thing you want to learn, go do that and then show up with them. And that will get you way further than anything else. And that's pretty much all I got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available
0: on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to
1: completedevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities.